0: Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling
1: author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Broussac. Well, hello and welcome to Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve. On today's show, we've got Ocean Robbins, co-founder and CEO of the Food Revolution Network. He's going to give us the download on GMO's Should We Be Eating Organic? And that and a lot more on this edition of Juice Guru Radio. So stay tuned. Sit back, relax, have a juice, have some tea, have a glass of water. We'll be back right after this with Ocean Robbins. Did you know
0: you can make a great living in the hottest new business trend today? The Juice Guru Certification Program is the world's first online course to give you the knowledge and marketing skills to excel as a juicing coach and start making money in no time. Find out more at
1: JuiceCoachTraining.com. Juice Guru Radio. Well, hello and welcome back to Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve Prusak, and thank you for being here and a happy new year, our first show of the new year. And we're very honored to have our special guest. We've been wanting to have him for a long time now, lots of delays, but we finally have him here today. It's Ocean Robbins, he's the co founder and CEO of the Food Revolution Network, which Reaches over 400,000 people with their summits and online programs, and they feature speakers like Paul McCartney, Tony Robbins, Dr. Joel Furman, Dr. Mark Hyman, and Dr. Jane Goodall. Ocean is co author with his dad, best selling author John Robbins, of Voices of the Food Revolution. He's spoken in person to more than two hundred thousand people worldwide, facilitates hundreds of gatherings for leaders from sixty-five nations and above. Let's welcome to Grow Radio right now, Ocean Robbins.
0: Well, thrilled to be with you, Steve.
1: Ocean, thanks for being here. It's a new year, and, and we're so excited to get to absorb your wisdom here today.
0: Well, you know, I, I'm excited to be here. I, I like lo- you know, I, we're here to talk about food, of course, and I love food. I love eating it, I love sharing it with friends, I love salivating thinking about it, and I I love helping people make their food choices into alignment with their integrity, with what they really want for their lives. And nothing better than the start of a new year to talk about how we can make food choices that are congruent with who we are and what we want.
1: Right. And I just love that you have the latest information based on the science and everything that's out there and some of the corporations that are trying to keep this information from us. So we're excited to have the freedom to explore and get this information out to our listeners. So thank you for taking that noble stand. Let's get a little deeper here. Let's talk about your family background, how you came to take an interest in this food and health and develop a a career out of it.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, as Many listeners may know, but probably not all. My grandfather founded an ice cream company it's called baskin robbins. My dad John was groomed from early childhood to one day join in in what was becoming the world's largest ice cream company and uh, He had an ice cream cone shaped swimming pool in the backyard and thirty one flavors of ice cream in the freezer at all times but when he was was offered the chance to uh, to join his dad in in running this ice cream empire. He took a good look at the world, and he saw a couple things: one is that his uh, uncle Bert Baskin, my grandpa's brother in law and business partner, was dying of heart disease my dad's uncle Bert was you know a very successful man, had a family that he loved, uh, but he didn't have his health and in time he didn't have his life and he left his his wife a widow and his, his kid's fatherless and and my dad said, "You know, an ice cream cone is not going to kill anybody, but there's no question Uncle Bert ate a lot of ice cream, and there's no question that even then, we were learning that you know science was telling us that ice cream was linked to heart disease and a lot of other health problems. So my dad said, "You know what he, I don't want to spend my life selling a product that's going to make people sick." So he walked away from the ice cream fortune and uh, followed his own rocky road, as we say in my family, and did that moving with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada, where they built a one room log cabin and grew most of their own food, and lived very, very simply. They practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day, and they named their kid Ocean. That's me. <laughs> so I grew up you know, uh, eating a lot of healthy food. With most of it, we grew ourselves. They almost named me Kale, as a matter of fact. <laughs> back, back before Kale was even uh, well-known or popular. And uh, years later, my dad wound up becoming a best-selling author as he wrote books about food and health, including the million-copy bestseller Diet for New America, I came of age inspired by my dad's example and also uh, just so keenly aware that our food choices have such an impact. You know, I never got to meet my dad's Uncle Bert, but I did see my grandpa, who founded Baskin Robbins, go through his own health crisis in his early 70s. He was told by his doctors he didn't have long to live. He had serious diabetes and weight issues and heart disease. He ended up reading my dad's book, believe it or not, uh, giving up ice cream, uh, eating a lot more vegetables, changing his diet in a huge way. And he lost 30 pounds. He got off all of his high blood pressure and diabetes medications, and his golf game improved seven strokes. So we can see that you know, when we make these changes, we can get some real results. I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it honestly with tens of thousands of people that we've gotten to work with over the years. So now today, uh, fast forward a little bit, and um, I'm working directly with my dad. We launched the Food Revolution Network. We've got more than now a quarter million members, and we're standing up for – food that's healthy for people and healthy for the planet. We're we're sharing stories. We're sharing the latest learnings of medical science. And honestly, I'm just so grateful that I get to do something to help people be healthier and have more fulfilling lives. You know, it's such an honor for me and a privilege for me to get to make a difference day in and day out.
1: And with all the information you've gathered through all these events and interviews, and it's countless, I mean, thousands of hours of information – It'd be great to break that down, distill it, the key concepts that you think everyone needs to be aware of today surrounding our health choices, GMOs, why, you know, are they good or bad for those who might not, for those who might not know? Well, you know,
0: obviously when it comes to food, it's a big topic. First thing I want to say is that food choices are very personal. Everyone needs to find out what makes sense for them in their own lives, and their own ecosystem, and their own values and integrity. Uh, that said, they're also very political. They impact the whole planet. And what you eat literally becomes you. It's a web of relationships. It's not just a commodity. It's also a community. So in terms of the top things you can do, if you want, if you want to be healthy and you want to step into healthy food choices, number one, recognize that we live in a society where something's become normalized and even subsidized that actually turns out to be toxic. We're surrounded by food-like products that are stripped of fiber and minerals and chock full of additives, flavorings, added sugar, added color, chemicals, hormones, even antibiotics. And when you put this into our food supply and you, you nourish your body with food that is devoid of a lot of the basic nutrients that nature brought into our food, you end up paying a price for it. And the the modern American diet is basically a prescription for what we're getting, which is epidemic rates of heart disease and diabetes and obesity and Alzheimer's disease. All of these things are directly linked to the food on our plate. So if you want to do something different, you have to, number one, recognize that the norm isn't going to cut it and that to truly do something sane, I think, when you actually look at the data, means to be a bit revolutionary. It means to really step outside the box and be willing to be a leader, because it is leadership to stand for something that's integrous with your values when it's not the norm around you. And it, it, it's, it, we're at a point where it, it, the, the situation demands leadership of anybody who wants to live with conscience around their food choices. So my big Things are. I think there's a number of things around food that a lot of people really agree on right now. Uh, experts who look at the data, we need to eat more fiber. Less than 5% of the American population gets the recommended amount of fiber. We need to eat more whole foods and less processed junk. We need to get away from trans fats, a lot of bottled oils, eat, eat less processed foods of all kinds, eat less you know, refined carbs, um, less added sugars, less chemicals. And we need to eat more vegetables and more fruits and more uh, foods in their integrous natural state. And, you know, there's a few places some folks don't have agreement on, like what's the optimal role for animal products in the diet. And, you know, a lot of people have different experiences around that. What I would say is that when I look at the mega picture, I see that there's a lot of studies showing that rates of cancer, Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, are all lower amongst people who eat less animal products. And when you look at the environmental reality with 7-plus billion people on the planet right now, and you look at what resources and uh, it takes to grow food for people, I think that the data is pretty clear that there is no really sustainable way to provide the American level of animal product consumption to 7.5 billion people on this earth that we share. So if we're going to be truly sustainable and have a sustainable climate and sustainable topsoil, sustainable water consumption, we have to ultimately find ways to reduce our consumption of animal products it just so happens that's the same diet that also leads us towards greater health and vitality for most people and whether you choose to call yourself a vegan or you choose to go raw or you choose to be vegetarian or think of yourself you know with some other category or label or omnivorous or whatever you know i'm not so interested in the boxes and categories i'm interested in helping you be healthy i'm interested in helping you take advantage of what we're learning and uh, that's where i think there's just so much opportunity for growth here. Um, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. It's about, it's about moving in the right direction towards greater health and wellness.
1: I love that. And I mean, let's talk about our food supply. I mean, besides the fact that it's normal now to spray our foods with pesticides, fungicides, herbicides, and other chemicals, it's also being altered in the lab with the GMOs. Can you talk talk a little about GMOs and what exactly is being done to the food and how this differs from conventional produce, which is sprayed?
0: Absolutely. So first of all, what's a GMO? Some people think it means God move over, but actually no, it doesn't. It means genetically modified organisms. And these are, these are plants or, or in some cases animals that have been genetically engineered in a lab with DNA from other life forms, bacteria, virus animals, plants that have been spliced in to create a new characteristic that didn't exist before. Now, Monsanto and the other major companies in the biotechnology industry have made some bold and honestly pretty exciting promises about what genetically engineered foods was going to give us. They've told us it was going to give us uh, higher yields, more drought-resistant crops, that it was going to give us better nutrition and flavor characteristics, and that it would help to feed a hungry world. If those things were true, I think it would be pretty awesome. Who wouldn't be in favor of those benefits? But but 25 years into the uh, the introduction of GMOs into our food supply, we see what's actually happened. And 99% of the crops growing that are genetically engineered are engineered for one of two traits. One of them is that they're resistant to herbicides, most commonly Roundup, uh, which is Monsanto's proprietary herbicide. Of course, doesn't it make sense that a chemical company would produce a crop that would involve people buying more of their chemicals? What a great business move, right? Unfortunately, the active ingredient in Roundup is glyphosate, which has been declared a probable carcinogen by the World Health Organization. Since the introduction of GMOs, we've seen more than 500 million pounds of additional herbicides sprayed onto our croplands and they're now in our bodies. They're in the umbilical cord blood of of infants in the womb. They're they're found in the bodies of every human being on the planet. They're in every major waterway on the planet. Uh, These herbicides are ubiquitous. We're spraying them directly on the foods that we eat. This is something you could never do before, but now we're doing it in mass quantity. Number two, we've got crops that have been engineered to be themselves living pesticide factories. They actually produce in every cell of the plant a toxin called BT, which is, uh, you know, often used in organic agriculture. It's used to kill certain bugs. When they eat it, their stomachs split open and they die. Um, and it's generally considered relatively safe for human consumption. But I don't know anybody who wants to sit down and drink this stuff. And now here we are eating crops that are registered with the EPA as pesticides. They contain BT in every cell. You can't wash this stuff off. And so that's what we've got. We've got. Pesticide factories, and we've got herbicide sponges. And that's what what GMOs have brought us so far. What's the impact of this? Well, it hasn't brought us any higher crop yield. It hasn't brought us drought-resistant crops. It hasn't brought us any improvement so far in flavor or nutrition. It's brought us more herbicides and more pesticides. What would you expect from chemical companies? Biotechnology could be a useful tool in the right hands that could serve humanity. I believe that. However, I think it needs to be handled with great care. Anytime you literally create a new life form, you better know what you're doing. You better think through the implications. And I personally don't feel comfortable having the power to create life, something that could outlive nuclear waste that will be around for infinite future generations. I don't feel comfortable with having that power in the hands of corporations whose ultimate bottom line is making money. And those companies actually are chemical companies with a history of producing products that have killed people. So this concerns me. And in the face of the data on GMOs, I personally want to know whether or not they're in my food. I think the right to know is critical. More than 90% of the American public supports labeling. And that's why at the Food Revolution Network, we've made standing up for GMO labeling and the right to know a, a, a huge part of our work because we think this is something that people deserve to be informed about, so we can make informed choices about what we feed our kids, about what we take into our bodies. And um, in the meanwhile, until we have labeling, I'll say there are only five major crops that are being genetically engineered on any significant scale, and these are corn, soy, canola, cotton seed, and also alfalfa. Alfalfa is being fed to livestock. Cotton seeds grow in Cotton's grown and used to produce our clothes, but the seed is also used as an oil that makes its way into a lot of processed foods. And then, of course, corn, soy, and canola are pretty widespread in our food supply. So, if you want to go non-GMO, those are the things you want to look out for. Oh, and I should mention also sugar, sugar beets, um, which a lot of a lot of sugar, half the sugar supply in the U.S. is actually now coming from genetically engineered sugar beets.
1: Wow, I didn't know about that one. Yeah. And isn't it true that they haven't done any types of studies on the effects of GMOs on human health? Like, we don't know what this is going to do 10 years down the road?
0: Well, you know, there's never been any long-term study on humans. You know, this stuff's all relatively new. Um, there have been some studies done on lab animals, and honestly, they're, they're fairly uh, concerning. Uh, some of them, have, you know, there's a huge difference. There's what we call industry bias in studies. There, there have been some anal- analysis done recently, which has found that those studies that were funded by the biotech industry have universally found no problems, but those studies done by independent scientists have frequently found cause for concern. And so, uh, but, but the vast majority of the science out there has been performed by industry, or, or by, funded by industry. And you know, when you think about it, why would a company fund a study on its products? It's a, it's a marketing ploy. They're not actually interested in a totally objective analysis, they're interested in putting, their, they're putting that money in because they want the data that will verify their underlying um, marketing goal, which is to say that their product is safe. So, uh, so the whole notion of science being funded by corporate interest is very concerning, and it's polluting our scientific database with a lot of sort of sham studies that were designed intentionally to get certain results. So, uh, so this, I find this quite alarming, and that's why the Consumers Union, which publishes Consumer Reports, has come out uh, very strongly supporting GMO labeling and saying, you know what, we, you know, we don't know if these things are, are entirely safe for human consumption. We do know that we're eating unprecedented amounts of Roundup or glyphosate uh, and other herbicides, uh, and we know that they're a probable carcinogen. So just on those grounds, we think there's a material difference here. Um, but as to whether the, uh, the actual genetic engineering process itself is safe for humans' consumption, there's a, there's a lot of controversy about that. In the 25 years since GMOs have come on the market, we've seen a, a five-fold increase in food allergy rates. Um, we've seen a dramatic spike in rates of obesity. Now, are these things causal? We don't know. Other things have changed in our diet and our environment in those 25 years as well. But when, when you see a correlation this strong, it, it does, I think, at least make a lot of people want, to, want the right to know. And it does, I think, serve as a rallying call that we need some more objective, independent science on this. You know, The FDA hasn't ever studied the safety of GMOs. They just say that they've looked at the, that the, at the studies done by industry And uh, they hear that the biotech industry thinks it's safe. And that's as far as they've gone on any kind of uh, final statement on the topic. And yet, based on that, they're approving these products for human consumption on a mass scale without any tracking or regulation whatsoever.
1: Whereas in other countries, such as Europe, they've adamantly protested Allowing GMOs into the country, burning fields, all kinds of protests. And we're just talking about labeling here in this country. Why do you think the United States is so slow as a population to really wake up to at the very least have it labeled for those that want to know?
0: Well, it's it's all it's all about following the money. I mean, we have we are the epicenter of the biotechnology industry. A lot of these companies were based here. Monsanto is based in St. Louis, Missouri. And so um, what we see is that the companies that are profiting from the status quo are heavily invested in maintaining that status quo, and this is true across the board with food industry regulation and, uh, and policy. In the United States, we are very behind the times when it comes to food policy, and it's why we have the you know, world's highest rates um, of a lot of the major diseases of our times. You know, we, we are, we are, Our life expectancy is you know, maybe around the 30th country on the planet in the U.S., despite our high GDP, despite the fact that we spend twice as much money on medical treatment as any other country on Earth. So, you know, we're spending a lot of money, but we're not getting the best results. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that we have policies in place that are favorable to industries that are profiting from the status quo. So they invest tons of lobbying money, tons of political donations, etc., to f- incur the favor of political leaders who, in turn, represent and look out for their particular interests. This is a um, very sad state of affairs in our democracy, um, but uh, it, it does come down to, to the moneyed interest. And ultimately, I think we do have some power to change all this because the money that's flowing to the moneyed interest is coming from we the people. And so when we shift our buying preferences, we change the whole game. And that's why, you know, five percent of our of our food is now um, of our of our grocery budget is now organic. In the U.S., we've seen a fivefold increase in farmers' markets and community-supported agriculture programs in the last 15 years. Non-GMO certified products have gone from nothing to seven billion dollars of sales per year in just the last four years. More and more people are interested in fair trade, local, healthy, real, natural food, and that is shifting the course of the entire food industry. Mega food corporations are rightfully scared because they've lost the trust of the American consumer. We, we, um, you know, McDonald's closed 700 restaurants in 2015. The, the sales of sugary breakfast cereals have gone down about 20% since the year 2000. Uh, even sugar consumption is starting to drop in the United States. The soda soda pop consumption, consumption of Coca-Cola and Pepsi, has been starting to go down. So all these companies are losing money, and they're scared. And what they're realizing, I think, is that if they don't make major changes, the practices that made them the food giants of the 20th century will make them the food dinosaurs of the 21st century.
1: So what are some of the solutions? What if we want to protect ourselves from consuming these foods or drinking the water that's contaminated? What are some of the solutions that you're recommending?
0: (laughs) All right, well, that's the beautiful thing. I mean, food, there are so many solutions. You know, food is a wonderful, beautiful opportunity to stand for your health and your life. So if you can afford it, go organic. If you can afford it, change where you shop, to to shop more from farmer's markets or to join a community-supported agriculture program so that you are having direct relationship with farmers. Um, and if you can take the time for that or get that set up or it's available in your community, that's fantastic. You know, if, if you shop in a place where there's a lot of junk food around you, then that's going to normalize it for you and it's going to be a lot harder to break free. So I say think about where you shop and think about what you buy. Also think about how much you eat at restaurants. You know, it, it, restaurants can be a wonderful, convenient, delicious, socially lovely experience. And you don't have nearly as much control when you eat at a restaurant over what you're taking in your body because restaurants by their very nature have a – they don't have to reveal the ingredients they use and they have a kind of incentive to produce their food as cheaply as possible. And most restaurants, even the really nice ones that are really healthy, if you were to walk back in their kitchen and look at all the ingredients they're using, you'd probably find some things you don't like to use such as uh, certain kinds of oils that may be fry, stuff may be fried in them over and over again, such as monosodium glutamate, such as various chemicals and preservatives and processed stuff and GMOs. So, uh, so again, you, know, you may choose to eat at restaurants, however much you do, but it's a place where if you can make more of the food yourself, you are going to have more control and you might also save some money. Um, I say eat more vegetables, eat more fruits. Uh, if, if grains are part of your diet, eat whole grains, eat more legumes, Um, eat sprouted things, eat fresh things. Obviously, no one listening to this needs to be reminded again, but green juices and green smoothies rock. You know, really just being able to take in large amounts of those powerful micronutrients can be life-changing. We're seeing study after study showing that mushrooms can help prevent cancer. In fact, one study found that consuming just three button mushrooms per day could reduce cancer rate by 50% amongst women. This is, this is stunning, right? And uh, so button mushrooms are one awesome food. All the leafy greens, legumes, whole grains, um, these are really powerful. And then if you, another really wonderful food is turmeric. It's a spice. It's the most popular spice used in India uh, where they consume maybe about a teaspoon per day of it on average over there. there. There may be a reason that India has one of the lowest rates of Alzheimer's disease of any country in the world. The U.S., by the way, has the second highest. Uh, the rates of Alzheimer's in India... Are about two percent what they are in the United States, and many people think that uh, turmeric could be a critical part of the equation for them, along with a more plant-based diet.
1: And what about the people that say organic is too expensive, and that you know it's it's hard to come by in a lot of parts in the world and part of parts of the country? What do you do? You think healthy food is too expensive for most people?
0: Well, yes, I do, <laughs> and I'll tell you, I think it's too expensive in the sense that I think it's more expensive than it should be. Um, Because we have government policies, in the U.S., we have over $10 billion a year in subsidies that are going directly to things like high-fructose corn syrup and factory-farmed animal products. They're subsidizing the worst stuff that we should be getting away from. You know, around the world, the U.S. is the only place where they use a lot of high-fructose corn syrup. The only reason they're using it in large quantities in this country is because it's subsidized. So... We need to shift that. What if we instead, if we're going to subsidize anything, it ought to be broccoli. <laughs> it ought to be, you know, mushrooms. It ought to be healthy stuff that we know we should be eating more of, right? Um, so, so that's one thing. But, but in the current context, I'll say this. I'll say, yes, I would like to see organic food be cheaper. I think that right now we have an organic certification process that actually um, is like being fined to wear your seatbelt. Because... Organic producers have to pay extra money to prove that they're organic and get that certified organic label on their product. But non-organic folks, folks who are using all these chemicals and poisons, don't have to do any special certification. They're the ones who should have to be proving that what they're doing is safe, showing how much of the chemicals they're using, making sure they're within established guidelines of acceptability. They should have to be paying for those fees. It's the organic producers who ought to be supported and not having to pay extra. So, so, there's a lot we could do at the policy level. However, for the individual consumer, I just want to say that last time I checked, cancer was pretty expensive. Heart disease, diabetes, obesity are pretty darn expensive. Feeling sick and listless and lifeless is pretty expensive. So, ultimately, if you think of food as medicine, what are you willing to invest in your health? Are you willing to act preventatively? so that you take care of yourself now and save yourself misery, suffering, devastation later. And that's, what we, that's the choice we have. Because every day we're either taking steps to, uh, to dig our own grave or we're taking steps to, to, to create a pathway towards greater health and vitality. And that's the choice you have with your own knife and fork, with your own blender every day of your life. So yes, organic food can cost more. When you buy in bulk, when you shop for yourself instead of eating at restaurants, When you create uh, a meal-sharing program, if you don't live in a big family, you can find other people, and you can uh, cooperatively make meals for each other and pool your time and energy and resources that way. There are some strategies that can help you save time and and make it more affordable and doable. You've got to create the habits, and it may cost you a bit more. It's possible to go organic, to go plant strong, to eat a really healthy diet on a a budget, but what would you sacrifice is time got to spend time and you've got to do more stuff from scratch if you're willing to put in the time you can make it work if you're willing to spend the money you can make it work and ultimately if you look at the investment and what it's worth to your health and to your long-term well-being i think the question is how can we afford not to
1: Mm, pay now rather than later Uh, I, i love the message and what you're sharing with the world ocean it's it's incredible um, for those that are listening that want to get involved with the labeling um, and getting the FDA to be more proactive, is there anything we can do to get involved?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we've started a petition. Uh, if you go to org, you can see our petition to the FDA calling for GMO labeling. More than a million people have signed on to this petition, and it's one of the ways people can step forward sign the petition, speak out, spread the word to your friends and family. Um, you're also part of the movement when you choose what you buy. And when you choose to support non-GMO certified or organically grown products, um, then you're also taking a stand. You're saying, this is something I value. And industry is beginning to take note. And we're seeing more and more certified non-GMO products on the market because the companies that make them are realizing that consumers value this and are willing to pay for it. So, um, so you, you vote with your dollars. You vote for your own health and the life you want, and you also vote for the world you want.
1: And finally, you know, before we wrap up today, uh, working so close with your dad as a best-selling author on these issues, he, I mean, he wrote the book on the food revolution. I th- That was the first time I learned about GMOs, and that was yes. – I don't know how – when that first came out. But that, that was when he talked about frankenfood, and, and we were just – they were just scraping the iceberg of where we've gone today and what's that like for you do you feel like you're walking in his shadow sometimes or how do it's, it's obvious to me that you've developed your own voice in this movement and and you're definitely uh, a force but how does that feel sometimes um do you ever do you ever come across that
0: well you know my dad is one of my greatest heroes and i feel like i don't walk in his shadow i walk in his light you know his work his legacy his integrity are ground that I build on in the work that I do. So I feel very blessed to get to work with him, to stand with him, to join forces with him, and, uh, and to help carry uh, the work that he started and has lived for 28 years uh, out to a new generation and a new time using new technologies. So it's a great blessing for me. It's a great privilege for me. I, I love that I get to work with my dad. I feel very blessed. I know most people don't feel that way. Most people I know wouldn't want to work with their parents, <laughs> and for good reason, um, mm-hmm. But in this particular case, I feel, I feel very blessed, partly that I have a dad that I would want to work with, to be honest with you. It's a great joy, and, and we have this interesting family story because, you know, my grandpa started the ice cream company, and my dad walked away, and, you know, um, now here I am really passionate about helping to scale up uh, social change and, and positive impact and helping as many people as possible to be healthy. And in some ways, maybe we're still cleaning up some karma from all that ice cream. I don't know. But, um, but I definitely, I, I think that my grandpa, uh, he, you know, he passed on about, about seven years ago. But I think if, if he's in heaven right now, he's smiling down, being grateful for the, for the work that we're doing.
1: Yes, some of our parents think this whole organic thing is crazy, believe, believe it or not. I know what that's like. Ocean Robbins, thanks so much for being here on just Radio. And we'd love to have you back throughout the year if you want to drop by the show, even for a 10-minute segment on an update, um, just to get this information out there, keep it active in everyone's minds, because I think as a planet, as a, as a community, we all need to get behind your movement and what you're doing. So thank you for this phenomenal work, Ocean.
0: Oh, my pleasure, and thank you for all you're doing to, to be a – A visionary, a spokesperson, and and to hold people's hands. You know, you do a lot of work that's very tangible, that's really grounded in supporting people in, in making their visions come into life and become real in their lives, and I just think that's so beautiful and so important. You know, step by step, we're changing the world together. We're changing our lives together. We're reclaiming our health, We're reclaiming our relationship with food, and I think that's a beautiful, wonderful opportunity, and I'm just so grateful for everyone who's part of the Food Revolution.
1: Ocean Robbins Food Revolution Network. Again, that website to sign up at GMO org for the GMO labeling petition against the FDA. We'll have a link up at Juice Guru Radio under today's show's notes with Ocean Robbins, so you can just click there and sign up and get on that petition. Again, Ocean Robbins, thank you again for being here. I'm Steve Prusak, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at juicegururadio.com.
1: Until next time, get your juice on.